The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Hey everyone, welcome to the Roto World Football Show. I am Matt Straup, and today we're going to be looking at lessons learned in last year's fantasy drafts and what we can carry over to this year. This this is also known as mistakes we hope to not make again. I'm joined by Pat Doherty and Denny Carter. And fellas, before we get started, we have basically three weeks to go now until this new season kicks off. Uh, I want to know, did you guys get the most out of your summer? Because these our summers start with so much hope. We have big plans. We we have 10 to 20 things we're going to do, we're going to learn, we're going to accomplish. I want to hear about biggest summer triumphs and or biggest summer regrets from you guys. My biggest summer regret was that my knee didn't hold up through softball season, oh. you know, and that's the way it goes when you're almost 39 years old. Uh, it's the first injury I've, I've ever had to deal with, oh, but no. uh, it has it has put a little bit, little bit of a damper on what I usually do in the summer, which is to play a lot of softball. Um, I have uh, transitioned to golf, which is uh, a little less taxing on the old knee. Yeah, not a sport. You don't really need ligaments for golf. So it's not a sport. How dare you? First, Did, of all. what was the injury? Just so that drafters know that you sustained, Denny. Uh, well, we're looking into it. I, I you know, I, I haven't, okay. uh, I haven't gone to the doctor, despite my wife uh, threatening me over and okay. over again. Denny was born on a farm and has never been to a doctor. You need to go to a doctor. Um, here's the thing. I called the doctor. Uh-huh. They didn't pick up. That's the, that's the maximum effort. I'm, I'm, I'm willing <laughs> wow. to put in. That's it. All yeah. right. So now I'm not seeing one. Sorry. I, I gave it a shot, you know, and, and there's nothing, there's nothing else you can do after that. Uh, um, place the call. I, that's it. I mean, that's a huge list. Most men won't even place the call. So. Yeah, I, I did. I called the, it, it went to a, an answering machine. I said, okay, well, and that's, that's, that's that. So well, the, you don't leave a message in that case, right? I mean, absolutely that. No, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not a psycho. Um, uh, the, uh, the pain is in the back of the knee. Someone has uh, someone DM me the other day and said, I heard about your knee situation. You have a torn ACL. I don't think that's right. Uh, yeah. I, I will say that the, the Twitter doctors, I believe, are wrong on that one. Okay. Um, but uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping it gets better. Sorry to hog so much time. But yeah, that, hey, that you could ask please. a real doctor. I should. I should consider one. <laughs> you know, the stunning pregnant pause after I suggested that. Denny, have you thought about asking a doctor? Pat, what about your summer? Yeah, Pat? Well, I'll say one lesson I learned is to call the site Roto World. Um, too soon? <laughs> no. Um, I, I don't, too soon? It's a change. Pauses, no, I think that was fine. Uh, so we got a really stunning too soon reaction from you guys. Well, you don't, it, do you not it, like the change back? It is, it's, a, it's, it's a change because I, I made a, 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 a real effort. I think all of us did to, to say... This is NBC Sports Edge, and uh, you know why did you get Edge stencil tattooed on your back? Which, by the way, NBC Sports Edge is not going away. By the way, no, it's not, Uh, and and it's not going away on my lower back either. I thought it was your upper back. I've been misled. Um, Matt, you asked in the intro that I get the most out of the summer, and if by that I get the most out of the summer, did you mean? that I catch as many viruses as possible for my children, including that counts. the, I still is the, is the coronavirus still novel? It's is less it? novel. It's less novel than it was. It's, it's less, but How, I, is it novel if you catch it a second time, like I did for my kids this summer, you, you catch uh, COVID more than Kirk cousins, which is something I'm catching almost as much as Jair Bolsonaro. Look it up folks. Um, <laughs> I've caught COVID twice and then a far worse stomach 
bug. Oh, uh, my. Not to downplay the old coronavirus, but the stomach bug. That's to say, um, quite literally the worst day of my life. You, you didn't you didn't get a check for that from the government? <laughs> no. And by the way, yes, I had corona a second time. Yes, I've been boosted. Yes, you should get boosted. It was extremely mild the second time. I'll say that. So, so, so two, two COVID and a stomach virus for you, a knee injury for Denny. You guys really, I mean, I didn't have a softball season either because I love softball like Denny, but everyone on my team is Denny's age and they ran up the, the white flag this year. They retired. Wow. Um, I'm a young and strapping 35. I, uh, I'm sorry, man. Yeah, it was pretty brutal actually. Matt, how about, how about you? How about your summer? Is it, was it slightly less awful? I did. I did uh, get COVID for the first time this yes. summer. Um, injuries wise, I mean, I think I dodged it. Other than kind of the typical, uh, you know, back stuff, hamstrings. That that just happens walking to and fro the kitchen. You know what I mean? A hammy might go. You guys know that. I mean, just um, like while sleeping, of course, it's fifty fifty after the age of thirty two. If you yeah. wake up with your back not being thrown out or not yeah. just from sleep. I I feel that I accomplished nothing. I did play some golf like Denny. Um, I'm really working on my game. My putting is a, is a complete, uh, disaster. And so, yeah. So here, here's the thing about golf that I forgot is that nothing matters except for the short game. Like it's just, no. it just doesn't, it, it doesn't matter how well you hit it. If no. you're terrible around the greens, it's going to be a miserable day out there. So I, I, around halfway through the golf season, the, the summer, I decided, Hey, I'm going to go instead of go to the range and, and hit 150 balls. Yeah. I'm going to go and I'm going to spend one hour chipping and putting. Do you know how long that is? Did you, you know how- yeah. Did you have the discipline to do that? Because I'll say I'm going to do it and leave after like 12 minutes. I'm like, no, oh, man, God. it was, it was an hour. I'm talking chip. I, I wanted to chip, you know, with wedges, with, uh, with my eight iron, a little bump and run. I want oh, to sure. learn. I, I tried to learn how to uh, chip it with my three wood, you know, with a, with a fairway wood, all that stuff, all that cool pro stuff. Yeah. I tried to get my eyes more aligned over the ball as I put it. All this. Wow. I mean, I was I was in on the short game and it uh bought me precisely nothing. I'm still terrible around this. <laughs> I was I was impressed there before I heard the end result. Yeah. It's all right. Process, We're gonna go around the room here a few times and talk lessons learned, really lessons learned last year in fantasy drafts and how they could apply to this year. So Denny we've each brought at least a couple. Why don't you lead us off with your yeah. first uh, lesson that you're going to keep in mind with this year's drafts? Yeah. So I think this ha- happens, uh, especially, you know, for fantasy managers who are really into it and spend months like looking at these teams and deciding how things are going to go for these uh-huh. teams. And you eventually put in so much time and effort that you come up with very certain ideas about how a team season will go. And then you, you draft accordingly. Like, you, if you want to be consistent and you say team X is going to be bad, then I don't want team X's running backs because they're not going to be in a position to run the ball very much. Right. So that, that, you know, that is natural. Like uh, that's a, uh, a thing that happens when you put a lot of time and effort into the game. So, but here's the thing. You're not always right about how a team will do. And so if a team is in fact, okay, or even good when you expected them to be horrible, yeah. Then you don't you don't have any exposure to the guys, the players who will benefit, you know, from uh, from that from that difference. So, like, uh, for instance, you know, uh, the running backs for Seattle, Houston, mm-hmm. Washington, they don't, you know, don't interest me on the level of these are bad teams. Some are saying Atlanta, too. Some are putting Atlanta in that. And they yeah, I many are saying I wouldn't, but some would. Some would. And yeah, so like Tyler Algier, who I like, uh, I really like his profile from a production standpoint, combine standpoint, everything. Uh, Arthur Smith's uh, uh, obsession with the run in previous seasons. But, you know, if Atlanta is really, really bad, then that's probably not going to work out for Tyler Algier. Uh, but you have you you have to think like probabilistically, is that if that's a word, yes. I believe it is, and say, what if I'm wrong? Like, what if the Texans are actually able to like maintain like some neutral games, even if they don't win a bunch of games. I'm not saying what if the Texans win 10 games, but what if the Texans win six games or seven games and they're in position to just run the hell out of the ball in the, in those games, like then you're missing out big time on guys Mm -hmm. like Marlon Mack or Damian Pierce, or even Rex Burkhead. I will say his name, Rex Burkhead. Uh, If, if uh, you know, if you have dismissed that entire backfield, no, no, thank you. I don't want that backfield. 
Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's kind of a, um, <laughs> there's one thing, having confidence is one thing, but being overconfident is an entirely other thing. And Denny, it's weird. Like when you're talking about like assuming how a team might be, even when like you correctly guess, like if a team will be good or bad, like I think everyone expected the 2021 New York Jets to be bad. You know, they had a defensive minded head coach. They have a rookie quarterback. They had had a fairly deep backfield, not like great players, but three or four backs. Like to me last year, it stood to reason, even though game script will be bad, game flow will be bad. The Jets will be a conservative offense. They're going to run a lot. They know their season's not really going anywhere anyway. Like, of course, they're going to pass if they're down multiple scores in the second half. But I'm like, the Jets will be a conservative offense. They're going to, like, run the ball. And then, not that I was invested in the 2021 Jets, Mm -hmm. but the 2021 Jets then were, like, one of the most pass-heavy teams in the league. They played at one of the fastest paces in the league. Mm -hmm. Like, this went nowhere, of course. Like, I assumed to be a bad offense, but I was still wrong about, like, the way it would be bad. And... That's just also something to keep in mind. I don't even know what we're telling people. It's the lesson we're telling them. Like just, like, just don't even try. I guess. I mean, it's just you're not well, gonna figure it out. It's um, it's kind of so. like there's a certain amount of like you kind of have to just pay attention to when you might be lying to yourself or telling. Like, does it make sense? Some of the things you tell yourself about a team end up being right, but other times you look back and you're like, well, I was obviously lying to myself there. And I think we'll get to some of those, you know, or. You just grab onto one thread of something. And you're like, well, that's that's the story I'm telling myself about this team. You kind of have to evaluate every situation. And it's also like, too, just like don't construct a narrative in your head just to like justify a decision you know you want to make like this year. No one's going to want to be drafting Texans running backs. So like you don't even entertain the possibility yeah. Yeah. that right. it might be like an mm-hmm. offense, like a bad offense, but a team that kind of like last year keeps a lot of games close. Right. Like the Texans will probably keep more games close this year than they did last year. And it's probably bad to just totally write off the Texans' backfield. But we want to write off the Texans' backfield. So we construct the narrative that it's not worth investing in the Texans' backfield when it still might be worth investing in the Texans' backfield. And the opposite can be true. You know, you you can be really bullish on a backfield because you think the team will have constant, constantly positive game script and they'll just Mm -hmm. be in position to pound the ball. And uh, and so you're you're confident that okay, like this this guy, whoever it is, is going to be in position to oh like uh, damian harris for for example right so mm-hmm. damian harris was the ultimate positive game script hammer last year you know when the patriots got a lead you knew what was happening you know it was damian harris up the middle off tackle every single play it seemed like uh if the patriots are bad this year i don't i don't foresee that happening um in, in the in the same way so yeah I, th- I think it's just it's just like watching like watching yourself uh, for overconfidence and how a team will do. And I feel like kind of along these same lines, not that this one's breaking any ground, but like just don't ever assume rational coaching, especially when it's like no. A, either a new coaching staff or it's B, new players. Because like last year at the Bears, I mean, Matt Nagy was no one's favorite coach even before last year, but I was kind of like, yeah, there's no way Matt Nagy like doesn't do some designed runs for Justin right. Fields, uh-huh. right? And then uh-huh. he just never, ever did. And um, to be just, yeah, be really careful with the assumptions and like situations with new variables. And the final thing about that point about backfields and game script and a team like the Falcons can, can be bad and still dedicated to running the football. Uh, like kind of like you said with Arthur Smith. Yeah. The, the one infamous example I always think of is the final chip Kelly season in San Francisco where like they were like one of the worst teams in the NFL like all year, but they just never abandoned the run because they just didn't have any passing game personnel. So yeah, you can't just assume just because the team's like, so the Jets did do this. They were horrible last year, so they just didn't run and they threw a lot. But you also can't assume just because the team's going to have negative game script all year that they're just never going to run. Because a lot of times really their only goal is like, just get me through this game. Please get me through. All right. So that's our first one uh, from Denny Pat. Take us through your first lesson. Well, I just want to talk about injury optimism. And Matt, this was an idea you were kind of kicking around before the show. Like last year, we just kind of like all systems go full steam ahead on guys coming off really major injuries like Saquon Barkley Mm -hmm. and Michael Thomas. And just how much like injury optimism can like really trip you up in fantasy football. Not that you should never draft a player coming off injury, of course. But like especially when a player is injured – like in camp, 
like the season is four months long, like maximum. And so even if you're missing two to four weeks in baseball, you know, you're missing like five to 6% of the season or whatever. That's a slight exaggeration. Football, you miss two to four games. You're missing already like upwards of like 30% of the season. And it's like, be, try to be like, just like, what is like the, what's like the true upside here? It's not like last year, Michael Thomas and Saquon mm-hmm. Barkley were probably still worth the risk because the true upside is just through the roof. But when the upside is so high, a lot of times you're probably not honest about the downside. Like Saquon Barkley has been hurt several times. This is a very, very bad offense one. And just basically not to put on upside only blinders. And just a lot of times if you are tie breaking, like you can't really decide. And it's like an injured guy and not an injured guy. This injury optimism will really, really get you in trouble a lot in fantasy football. And again, I wish this sounds dumb. It sounds like I'm just saying don't draft injured players, but uh, yeah, just don't draft injured players. Actually, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think you need to be uh, cautious that you're not kind of galaxy braining yourself into drafting an injured player and saying like I this is like this is positive. This is leverage for me. You know, like no one else thinks this guy's going to be okay, but I do. So mm-hmm. I'm taking him right at ADP. Even I'm even reaching for him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you don't know, like we like we we don't know. And and there and there are you know folks in the fantasy community who analyze injuries and and better understand it than certainly than than the three of us. Uh, I don't think any of us are doctors, judging by my knee conversation. Yeah, but we don't know what's um, happened there. We don't even call doctors. <laughs> <in this room. laughs> but uh, but I think I think to like to to, to take that leap on a player who clearly has, you know, a significant injury, who's missed time, who's missed practice time and everything. I, I, I do think that it, it, that can be another sign. I mentioned this word earlier of overconfidence in well, how you, how you're evaluating the situation. And Denny, I mean, you basically just perfectly described a player this year, like, or like people are like, I'm not going to let, you know, yeah. People are letting this guy fall. Like, I, I don't even mind taking him yeah, a few spots ahead of ADP. J.K. Dobbins, who... That's the guy I've been thinking of this whole time. It's his third time. year in the NFL. He has 152 career touches. He just was cleared for individual drills at the beginning of last week. Right. Like the team... Like every time that you ask him about J.K. Dobbins' health, John Harbaugh's like, I'm not a doctor. Like I, I, I've never <laughs> yeah. even called him a doctor. I tore my ACL playing softball, and I've been in denial about it for months. Like I don't know anything about doctors. I'm John Harbaugh. Uh, sorry, Denny. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're right. You're right, though. I, I mean, yeah, the team, I mean, the Ravens don't talk about injuries anyway. No. But, um, I've, I've been taking J.K. Dobbins, but it does kind of like smack of, because again, it's because you fall in love with the upside without maybe a realistic acknowledgement of how like truly serious the downside is. When right. don't we kind of like happen to remember the guys that came back successful, successfully from oh, you yeah. know, significant injuries quickly? So we're like, well, it, it can easily happen for, you know, we, we're, not, we're not rational about it. It's just yeah, Adrian another case. Peterson where, became yeah. the mountain. Didn't Jamal Charles <laughs> come back? Like, he did. Great. I mean, but how long ago was that? You know, like it's not good logic. You know, uh, I, I've never. Adrian felt, Peterson came back after three years serving in Europe, and then he just rushed for two thousand yards. Um, I never felt smarter in my life than when I took Jamal Charles the year after he blew out his ACL. Yeah, and uh, he came back strong, and and um, you know, it was yeah. like a was like a weak winner over and over and over again in right. in fantasy leagues. And but yeah, I think that that's probably the exception to the rule, and probably I was I was way way too confident about my <laughs> about how I was looking at Jamal Charles that year and i i tend to be more cautious in my old age i mean with that said dobbins could be absolutely awesome this upcoming season but yes i mean I you gotta this, do it you, yeah. you obviously <laughs> have to do it the, the other thing the other injury big injury takeaway for me the last couple of years is i think we hear the term high ankle sprain and some of us tend to only hear ankle sprain and think it's not that big of a deal but that like that is a true season derailing just complete season wrecking injury is the way i now look at it and it's funny because teams have started to say low ankle sprain. They've started to yeah. to, to distinguish to say, uh, "Don't worry, fans and yeah. teammates." Like he has a low ankle sprain. I've been told by doctors that there is no such thing as a low ankle sprain. It, and and did you uh, talk to and, a doctor? Yeah, this sounds out of character. Well, I I I was one I was I was once able to get in touch with my doctor. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but um, yeah. So so you're right about that Matt the the high ankle sprain should be like a major red flag and I and I I I remember you know during the season 
every year you have fantasy relevant players who suffer a high ankle sprain and you have half of fantasy Twitter saying, eh, it'll be okay. And then half saying, Oh my God, this is terrible. I tend to, I tend to uh, side with the latter. Oh my God, this is, this is terrible. Just a few thoughts on that. If you, even if you're only say 22 years old and say playing basketball at your college gym and suffer a severe high ankle sprain, I don't know anyone who's done this. Um, this was not me. Um, if that happens to you, properly rehab it is all I can say. Yeah. Otherwise, it could turn into a life-changing injury. A Michael yeah. Thomas type injury. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, but you're right, Matthew. When I hear high ankle sprain now, it, it, the, like the setback rate is just like shockingly high. With the, like mm-hmm. in the yeah. NFL, it's because again the season is so short. Teams just will never, ever, ever take the proper. Like no matter how cautious and conservative the team is, like the Ravens are like a team that does everything by the book. It doesn't matter. Like every team will try to bring you back basically a week too early. And it just like they cannot because the season is so short. The pressure is so immense. Yeah. Now, if you have a player that's over the high range, just like trade them. Uh, yeah. You're trade. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm, that's what I'm telling myself going into the season. If that happens, I am, I am trading that player when they're about to return. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, no, trade them immediately. Cause there'll always be people who like yeah. think they're going to like, well, yeah, I, like, over, yeah, I'm eight and two. I'm going to wait this out. This will yeah. be great. Yeah. True. All right. My first one centers around what happened last year with one Jamar Chase. And like just to kind of reset, you know, all the uncertainty around him after not playing in 2020, all that what now we know is silliness about him adjusting to the actual NFL football. I personally, and I think a bunch of people made the mistake of letting all of that noise kind of get too loud, you know, letting those questions kind of take over. And then as a result, you move him down on your draft boards to the point where you don't get him. So Basically, instead of betting on what we knew was an absurd talent, I paid way too much attention to the noise and the surrounding stuff in this case. I guess for starters, like, did either of you guys fall into that same Jamar Chase trap last year? And can you think of anyone who might be in a similar situation this upcoming season? I uh, I was I was so far into the trap that I couldn't get out once <laughs> once uh, once there started to be the panic about his his inability to catch a pro football compared right. to a college football which has the stripes i mean this was i'm not you know this is not no, a joke, it, it really happened this really this happened is, this really happened and and i think he dropped a couple in the preseason where i was like this is this is bad it's bad yeah. like i'm 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 regretting going really heavy on jamar chase and uh, best ball drafts in the end i did not regret it uh but uh but yeah i i i think it's it's natural to to panic over over that sort of thing because like that's how our brains work. Like we we are not able to zoom out. Like the thing that is catching mm-hmm. our attention and like manipulating us emotionally is the thing we'll pay attention to most. Okay, it's you know it, it's how our brains are made. So uh, yeah, I I tend to do that. But of course, this leads to overreaction, and overreaction is usually not good in our game. It's weird. The Jamar Chase one is a tough one because. I mean, I feel like the way to like survive, like these, like Denny said, like you're always going to latch on to the negative um, with yeah. these, like these practice reports. And of course you're always going to latch on to the positive as well. So-and-so caught, you know, nine passes out of the backfield in Tuesday's right. practice. But like, it's, this is far from foolproof, but you like really have to do a training camp reports is like separate, like true trends from just like practice reports. Like, Everyone all summer is going to have one or two good practices, at least one or two bad practices, at least like Jamar Chase. It really was like one or two kind of like isolated incidents last summer. You have to be, it's like, a, you have to, if it's like, is this a true trend or like every report, multiple mm-hmm. news outlets are reporting the same thing. Multiple members of the coaching staff are saying the same thing. There's like a tendency, you know, want to dismiss everything like a coach or GM says, which of course, you don't want to take any one uh, coach or executive statement at face value, but the trends really do a lot of times end up panning out. And like this summer, we have no idea what will happen with Isaiah Pacheco yet in the chief's backfield. Like he's already a player where it's not just like one or two practices. It's like every week, a different, every day, every week, a different member of the chief's media is talking about Andy Reed has given multiple on the record quotes. And like, that's a true trend. That's where like, it could still end up not panning out, but you're not like a sucker for buying into it. Cause like, it's a real like thing that's actually happening. And it's not like one guy dropping three passes in one team session and it going viral on Twitter. 
And like two weeks later, like, huh, that's weird. I haven't heard anything about Jamar Chase dropping any passes, but it was really bad when he did that one time. So yeah. I'm scared. As you like to say, Pat, they're weeping openly when discussing him. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like differentiating between what is an actual trend uh-huh. and what was something that really kind of just like popped up on Twitter for like one or two days. Like I, the, that's the, a really the, important the, distinction. The Pacheco phenomenon reminds reminds me of of you know through the years uh, during training camp and in the preseason. Uh, how important it is to make notes of when a player a player is trending up and when a coach is talking positively about that player because it, the the payoff might not be immediate. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Like Isaiah Pacheco might not start week one and get fifteen carries. I mean, he likely won't. I mean, he okay? will obviously. <laughs> I know thirty three touches. Drafted him one. in our Apex League. I, I did thirty three touches week one. Yeah, I'm upset about your draft pick, but uh, you know. But you you can make a mental note and say, okay, maybe I should stash this guy, or maybe I should monitor him on the waiver wire because later on that that can pay off. So the the, the payoff doesn't have to be immediate, but but noting those trends is is obviously important for the for the long run, for the long run. And the reverse was true last year for uh, another wide receiver, Brandon Ayuk. And I'd have to double check the timing of when we started to get word that like he was in Shanahan's doghouse. But that was one where I'm I believe that some of us were so high on the talent. That we were just like, whatever, this guy's awesome. Like he was, he flashed so much as a rookie. I'm going to draft him anyways. And you ignored the red flags that were everywhere. Now, Ayuk eventually came around late in the season, but I mean, a lot of fantasy squads were in big trouble early yeah. on who invested in Brandon Ayuk last year. Yeah. And just, yeah, fantasy managers and fantasy writers, we, Denny and I have the same problem. Just like, it's so difficult to know, like, what, because these coaches say so much, so much mm-hmm. of it ends up not being true. It's so difficult to know what to put stock in and what not to. Right. But if it's a genuine trend, the coach probably believes it. And maybe he'll be wrong. But yeah. like when it, when you hear something, not just one or two days, one week, when you hear something every week, multiple weeks in a row for camp, you can that was that's what happened with Brandon Ayuk last summer. Like it was every week. It's like, yeah, Shanny doesn't really seem to like this guy anymore. It's right. kind of weird. But right. uh He's not even allowing Brandon Ayuk to park his car at practice. <laughs> uh, like, maybe pay attention to that. Yeah. All right. We have more to come first. We're going to take a quick break. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. And just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet, go and download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in Major League Baseball on the PGA Tour and the NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesdays and Thursdays called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. All right, we're going back around the room again. Denny, you're the leadoff hitter, so take us to your second lesson. Yeah. Uh, second lesson would be not taking seriously enough what coaches say about players during training camp and during the preseason. And I know we just touched on Shanahan saying, you know, doing this right with, with I, I, last year. I ruined it. I'm sorry. It's that's, that's fine. I wasn't. I wasn't secretly fuming as you guys were talking. <laughs> there are a lot of takeaways for this preseason and this training camp, including how Packers coaches and Aaron Rodgers have mm-hmm. talked about. Alan Lazard and Alan Lazard does not profile as a wide receiver one in any sense 
of the word. Like right. no, nothing points to him. Because for starters, he's a tight end. Be, you're right. I mean, that, that's one issue is, is the way he's operating this offense. But I, I do feel like uh, it's, it's foolish to hear mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and others say he's the, he's the top dog and say, nah, can't be. Right. Can't be. I, I right. say no. I say no. Right. Um, well, because it's not fun in this case, right? I mean, like, it's it's not fun to be excited about Alan Lazard because he's not like a flashy player. He's not. Uh, but if they treat him like the wide receiver one, then you're going to want him. Like, it's it's just, it's, it, can, it can be that that simple. And I know we don't, we tend not to want to, for things to be that simple. We, we want it to be more complicated than that. We want right. to be able to say, I've cracked the code. I know the secrets. I know how to evaluate players. Uh, Literally, I mean, many fantasy managers will take this approach. I know how to evaluate players better than the GM, better than the coach, better than the quarterback. I know. You don't. You don't. You know, and and I think it's important to admit that to to yourself that you have to you have to listen. Like tracking news, which we do a lot around here is important okay like like uh as much as i'm a spreadsheet spreadsheet socialist as evan silva would say <laughs> i will say that you also have to watch what people are saying what important mm-hmm. people are saying people so are saying. Uh, yeah I, I i am trying to watch myself in that regard this summer and you also just can't pick and choose like when you do mm-hmm. because we have like we've i'm still having trouble with it i don't think that alan Lazard could possibly be the number one receiver on a football team so like you said, I just ignore when Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur talk it up. But then when there's someone like Kenny Pickett where the Steelers are like, oh, yeah, this guy's terrible. Like, he's not even <laughs> Like, really wish we hadn't drafted him. I'm like, oh, yeah, obviously. And, like, just immediately take that at face value uh-huh. and buy into that. We're like, yeah, you can't, like, have it both ways. And Denny, too, like, kind of – like, these guys are not good actors. Like, these coaches, like – they, I mean, they lie a lot, but like, especially in training camp. So like in the season with injuries, it's a lot different. When coaches talk about injuries, that's one thing where you can really almost never take it at face no, value. Yeah. And there yeah. are certain tropes. Like I think coaches like want to believe things like, yeah, this guy, this running back's going to catch eight or nine passes outside. I think they want to believe that. Sometimes they, when they're talking about like very specific kinds of usage, uh-huh. they get out over their skis. It's like in general and talking about players, they're bad actors. They can't hide who they dislike, who they like. Like Andy Reid is just like can't hide that he's like loving Isaiah Pacheco this summer. Like Kyle Shanahan could not hide that he was not loving Brandon Ayuk last summer. Like it's not all usually like some huge like smokescreen deflection game. Uh-huh. Like they just like their tone says so much about player. And again, maybe like the specific quotes will be like, well, yeah, I mean, uh, Kyle Shanahan – Said he was going to catch 14 passes this week. He only caught three. Like, he'll be wrong about that, but they do not hide well like, who they favor and who they disfavor. I'm concerned about the way Shanahan talks about Trey Lance. I still am. I yeah. still am concerned. Well, Shanahan's one, too, where like, he, he's like the worst actor in the world. Like, yeah. he, he didn't like Trey Sermon, and then he didn't play. He didn't like Brandon Ayuk, and then he didn't play. He didn't like Dante Pettis, and then he didn't play. He talks up. Like, like That's really hilarious. like weird, like under the radar people. And then they do play like couch and he, he has never, ever talked positively about Trey Lance publicly. It, that is still one of the strangest phenomenons. Yeah. I mean, when, when a reporter said, uh, it said, is it weird that you didn't have like an official statement saying, you know, like where we've moved on to Trey Lance and he, and Shanahan said, Oh, I, well, I, I figured I didn't need to do that. Man, that, that I don't know, man. There's something that doesn't that doesn't feel right about any of that. Uh, I'll just I'll just keep that I'll keep that out there. I'm not saying you can't draft Trey Lance or anything, but just just but, yeah. watch what he's saying. You're saying it. Uh, one one other thing about on on this subject of listening to what coaches say, it doesn't apply to anyone better than it does Ezekiel Elliott. Okay, because the team obviously made a huge mistake in making him. Uh, a, a hugely high, uh, maybe the highest paid running back in the league at the time, I believe, maybe still, I, I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't United be shocked. States in the history of this great country. And, uh, <laughs> and good for Zeke for, for getting, for getting that money for a running back. Who's not going to have a very long uh, career like all running backs do, but you have Mike McCarthy saying keystone, keystone part of our offense. You have Jerry Jones saying he has to be the centerpiece of the offense. You know, some, no matter how much you love Tony Pollard and I do, right. 
And every every indication is Tony Pollard is better. Doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And and uh, as long as if the team wants a guy to be the cornerstone of the mm. offense, that guy is going to be the cornerstone unless he gets hurt. So as long as he's healthy and upright, I don't see any path for Tony Pollard to be truly like a huge difference making fantasy player. You mean what the team wants is more important than what we want? Is that is that actually what you're <laughs> yeah, telling me? Yeah, but and, and I know that sounds simple and almost like insultingly so, but man, it it it's just something that we we tend there's so, there's so much hubris I think in fantasy football sometimes yeah. that it's it's this, never this, heard this, of it. What's that word mean? This, this <laughs> look it up. Uh, this this dismissiveness. Ah, Jerry Jones doesn't know what he's talking about. Jerry Jones right. pays the bills, guys. He literally pays Zeke. He, he if 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 he says Zeke right. gets twenty carries, guess guess who gets twenty carries? Not Pollard. Right. What's funny about all this big picture is you can be guilty of not thinking about these situations enough. You can be guilty of overthinking them. You have to think about them just the right amount. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. You have to find that sweet spot of thinking about it, looking at it, being honest with yourself, but not overthinking it. Right. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's, uh, it's that simple. <laughs> that's it. That's how you win fantasy leagues. Okay, Pat, your second one is well. Like this one is kind of like an annual lesson, but you have to be very nuanced with the way you evaluate players changing teams, like especially. Mm receivers like for a while it was like a really it was like a big time take in fantasy that all receivers changing teams are going to struggle their first year like yeah it doesn't matter how good they are like it was a really really like big time talking point ahead of 2020 like deandre hopkins is changing team he's just not going to have a good year like he's just going to be bad every receiver changing teams stinks and it's because a lot of times the guys who change are changing teams are people like Paul Richardson to the commanders like a few years ago or like Corey Davis to the jets last year, which is a little unfair because he got hurt and only played nine games. Like a lot of times the, the kind of receivers who change teams are receivers who didn't get franchise tagged are allowed to walk and then get overpaid by a team. That's like really, really hurting for receiver mm-hmm. depth. So it became like very kind of like the sexy, just like make it a, a, like a narrative that like receivers changing teams, uh, are always going to struggle. And like, so then of course you have to talk about like, well, what kind of receiver is changing teams. Is this Paul Richardson or is this Deandre Hopkins, who was right. one of the best receivers in the NFL at the time. And like the same thing too. And like, so like we were talking, Matt and I were talking about like Cooper cup, like how did we all miss Cooper cup last year? And it wasn't mm-hmm. Cooper cup changing teams. It was this quarterback changing teams. And I guess there's clearly we did something wrong in the evaluation there. And, Coming into last year, like I had this idea that Matthew Stafford like didn't really target slot receivers, and I think Denny that you had like proven that wrong. Like, oh, he actually like loves to target slot I did, receivers. I did a little research, yeah, and like right. I just it just like wasn't on my radar though, so I just like didn't even think about it. I had never even like considered drafting Cooper Cup last year, and just trying to be like much more nuanced when we're like evaluating like like we clearly we didn't do a deep enough dive on the Cooper Cup and Matthew Stafford. Right situation was because Cooper cup, he wasn't even drafted as like a, I think maybe he was drafted as like a low end wide receiver too last year, but just like making sure you truly understand like what, what kind of player is this changing teams? Like what kind of quarterback is upgrading this team and just not never making like a blanket statement like that. Like, well, the receivers changing teams, that means a bad year's coming folks. I think that applies to Christian Kirk this year, you know, it, yeah, ahead, he's like straddles no, no, no. the line because just... he's like a classic like Paul Richardson type, like a guy who's not a true number one. The team didn't franchise tag him, but I also agree, Denny. Like he's clearly like a, he's a useful NFL player. He's a pretty versatile NFL player, and I just like don't know what to do with him. I, I'm I'm pretty okay with his his ADP, and and honestly, John Shipley and other uh, Jaguars beat writers have written nothing but like outrageously positive reviews of Christian Kirk at Jaguars camp and his work with uh, Trevor Lawrence, his his domination of targets and uh, his usage as both an intermediate and a deep ball threat. I mean, I'm not, I'm not forecasting like, you know, like a top 10 season for Christian Kirk, but I think at where he's, where he's going in, in drafts probably, probably doesn't incorporate the, the target volume that he could just step into there in Jacksonville. Yeah, I was responding when you said Christian Kirk because I had seen something uh, from Bucky Brooks on NFL.com raving, you know, 
hype uh, talking up Christian Kirk. And yeah. I, I just think it, the thing is with a new quarterback and wide receiver pairing, right? It definitely has some downside, but I think we err on the side of thinking about the downside and not thinking about it, unlocking some upside that we hadn't seen before. So I think that cup is a great example of that. Kirk could be an example of that. So, I mean, like, honestly, I think all of us should really just be, you should have a, make a list of all the new pairings and like, and evaluate each one and decide what you think of it instead of just saying, well, that's bad. What in the world do we do with Allen Robinson, who is not only changing teams, he's changing teams to the team where we said we missed last year with Cooper Cup. He was like uh-huh. he was a, being drafted as like a wide receiver one last year. To me, he's being drafted like overly optimistically this year on like the wide receiver two, three borderline. But like how in the world do we even evaluate a situation? That's a really I'm basically hard saying one it's me. like an unsolvable riddle. I feel like Denny has maybe more of a read on this one. Why do I think that? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, last year was so so bad for Allen Robinson. Like every one of his peripheral stats dropped off the face of the earth. Yeah, I think I think I think there are reasons for that. You know, the coaching, the fact that they weren't really interested and didn't really get along. Like him, he didn't get along with the coaching staff. Whatever he had COVID, all this stuff, right? That Allen yeah. Robinson had to go through. He's not exactly young by the way. And that, that concerns me a little bit. A He's big, also a big bodied receiver, yeah, a big receiver at 20, I think 29 going into yeah, his 28, age, 29, 29. Um, you know, that, 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 that raises a little bit of a red flag. I will say that OBJ's role in that offense when he was fully healthy, um, I think is a, a potential harbinger of good things for Allen Robinson because OBJ just constantly saw single coverage, um, was able to just kind of sit down and wait for the, for those balls as teams mm-hmm. scrambled to cover Cooper Cup. So uh, I think Allen Robinson could definitely take advantage of that. And apparently the team sees him as a great red zone weapon as well. You know, t- touchdowns are not bad from what I hear. Yeah, so he turns 29, as, as producer Adam points out. Uh, in a, it, Well, really, like basically a week from now. I mean, this guy's coming off a season where he had, what, 38 catches for 410 yards, one touchdown. I mean, it was just a, a disaster fantasy-wise. I don't think, Pat, that we're necessarily getting like a, a discount really based on what no. happened last year. My canned line on what happened last year, by the way, is that the Bears dared Allen Robinson to quit on the season and he obliged yeah. them. Like, yeah, that, that's that's accurate, I think. And But it's also – so it's like another thing. Like let's take this even a level deeper. Is like Sean McVay actually has had a little bit of like Kyle Shannon and him where he like aggressively traded for Sammy Watkins – he address aggressively traded for Brandon Cooks. Like he, he he like kind of makes these big moves where he like thinks he understands a player and how to use them, mm-hmm. and then kind of flops. But that kind of like plays back in everything. Like when you're evaluating a new receiver situation, you have to like take stock of the like not all new receiver teams are created equal. And those other guys were going to a team where Jared Goff was the quarterback. There's a big mm-hmm. difference between Jared Goff yeah. and Matthew Stafford, of course. But, like there, there are legitimate reasons to fade Allen Robinson, but I do think that I'm probably placing too much stock in Allen Robinson's this total failed 2021 and really underestimating just how good the new situation is. And the, yeah, not all new teams are created equal. And these one of like the five best teams a receiver could go to. I think his ADP will be way more reasonable and more attractive in more casual leagues um, where people will say, you know, uh, I remember that guy from last year. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, I don't care that he changed teams or anything. Uh, and, 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 you know, in sharper leagues that uh, you will, you will really have to make a choice on whether you think Allen Robinson can, can deliver in that Rams offense. I think that this reminded me, this Allen Robinson situation reminded me of one mm-hmm. more lesson that wasn't on our list, which is, I guess, make a decision about a player. Like don't, don't, don't end don't go into your drafts with, I don't know. I'm not sure about this guy. So I'm just going to kind of have him floating somewhere in my rankings. Like you flip, flip a coin in that case, you know? Yeah. I think I honestly, in this conversation, just decided to finally be an Allen Robinson guy. (laughs) Cause Matthew Stafford too, is a guy, maybe Allen Robinson's lost a step. Matthew Stafford will target you in tight coverage. Mm -hmm. Um, Justin Fields was not allowed to do that last year. Andy Dalton can't do that. Uh, I think I'm becoming an Allen Robinson guy. (laughs) Suddenly. It's been hard to be an Al Robinson guy in best ball because, like Denny alluded to, the ADP is like out of control. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh-huh. I think it will, as Denny also said, it'll be 
easier to be right. an Allen Rob- a Robinson guy and more conventional redraft. Yeah, and, and, and Mike Williams is another guy. In best ball leagues, man, you have to be wild for Mike Williams oh, yeah. to take him at ADP. But like in normal, like well-adjusted leagues with people uh-huh. from your office or whatever. We have, we have families, Denny. Right. <laughs> pay taxes. <laughs> Mike Williams, you'll see Mike Williams be like, oh, oh, he's he's two and, he's two two and a half rounds past where I usually see him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have a kid, Kyle Dvorak. <laughs> My second one is, I guess, kind of the flipped version of the Jamar Chase one. You guys remember the Jamar Chase one from earlier, right? I remember that guy. You remember it? Uh, Basically, the player that I think of here is Justin Fields, another Chicago Bear last year, because I personally, and I think others, became really focused on the athletic upside, you know, the rocket arm, the 4440 at his pro day, that I know I personally just very selectively ignored just how horrendous his NFL environment was shaping up to be with the Bears last year. So basically, this was a case where I said, I don't care. I love the talent. Forget forget the situation. Forget that Andy Dalton's starting. Like this is it's gonna be Fields. And like obviously Fields had a few moments, but I mean it was a tremendous backfire for the most part. So like Pat Darty doesn't have to be with Fields, but how do we avoid, how do I avoid this mistake again this year? I don't know. In Fields, I think the exact same mistake is probably happening the other way this year. Uh-huh. Where I said, don't just assume rational coaching, but it's hard for me to think this new Bears staff is going to see how Justin Fields' season went last year and not come to the conclusion like, yeah, this guy probably needs to run more and probably needs more designed runs, especially with how little receiver talent they have, like that he's just going to have to threaten defenses more with his legs. And so we noticed like totally inexplicably – Last year, Matt Nagy just refused to do that when it was just quite clearly something that needed to be done. And so Fields is actually someone I moved up in my rankings recently, despite how bad he was as a rookie, mm-hmm. despite how bad a supporting cast is, because I just can't see a second successive coaching staff being like, yeah, not going to run. It's not something we do around <laughs> here. Not in Chicago. Not in not in Chicago, Illinois. Just not going to happen on the windy shore i'm just too much it's uh too much wind to run yeah too much wind on the shores of lake (laughs) soldier field is basically in lake michigan by the way for those who've never been there it's like almost like quite literally in the lake have the bears have the bears considered getting a real field that 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 might help they actually they're trying to move out of the heart of chicago denny they should uh, no, they shouldn't. Teams they need should. to be that, in that city stinks. That stadium stinks. God, I mean. Well, it's it's the worst aesthetics in the entire oh, NFL because the original Soldier Field is a beautiful monolith, just like the old style architecture. What Americans can get done, and they put a spaceship in it. It's <laughs> looks horrendous. It's it's horrific. Yeah, no, Matt, I was with you with Justin Fields. You know what? You know what got me with Fields after his I think second preseason game. He told reporters. The game is slow out uh-huh. there. And I was like, we found he is the one. Like he is Neo. Like we, yeah, we, I, feel, I feel like Morphe yeah. is finding Neo. Oh my God. A rookie who says the game is slow. This is yeah. it. Bang. I got him. I got my guy. It doesn't matter from here. And yeah, and you just you just don't he just meant his processing speed, it turned out. Yes. He meant anything but the actual game. Uh, because uh it looked it looked like it was way too fast for him last year, but uh, yeah, so I think falling in love with the player over the environment is one thing. And, and you know, f- the flip side of that, I think of Amari Cooper, okay? Uh-huh. A guy with no target competition in Cleveland who is in, theoretically, a, a, a terrible, terrible fantasy environment it, with jo- Jacoby Brissett maybe being the starter for six games or more. Mm-hmm. What if it's not as bad as I think it is? What if the fi- fantasy environment is a little a little more friendly than I think it is. What if teams focus so much on stopping the run with a good offensive line in Cleveland that, that Cooper gets favorable coverage. What if Deshaun Watson comes back at, at, at full force in, around mid season and, and suddenly you have a wide receiver one on your hands. Like I try to, I try to think of those things when Cooper comes up in the draft because, mm-hmm. because naturally I want to say, I want to dis- dismiss Mark Cooper. No, no, thank you. Like, I don't care. He's in that offense. I don't care. I think that's a mistake. Well, Denny, I think what you're saying is like, like everything has a baseline. Like this is the NFL. Like even the worst NFL quarterback is going to complete NFL passes. And like, you see, so. you think you see this happening in the Seahawks, where an underdog Tyler Lockett is literally the wide receiver 47. Like people are yeah. drafting Tyler Lockett as if the Seattle Seahawks offense literally will not pass the ball. 
anymore. <laughs> right. And yeah. like, it's like, like the, like as if there's no baseline of production whatsoever. And like a guy who's been a wide receiver too, his entire career is like, that's going to be halved. Like he's a wide receiver 48 right now. It just doesn't stand up to scrutiny. And like even a bad Tyler Lockett season, I'd be like still going to be like a wide receiver three season. Probably. And just like, this, this, like everything has a baseline. Like, sure, the situation is worse. Yes, his ADP needed to drop on last year. But, like, Tyler Lockett should not be being drafted behind, like, like a Christian Watson. Or, like, he's being drafted by, like, like four or five rookies, one of mm-hmm. whom is, like, having breathing problems and his coach doesn't like. He's being drafted by a Hunter Renfro. It just doesn't, like, yes, the situation's worse. But also, yes, like, there will be an NFL quarterback throwing these passes. People right. will catch at least 18 to 20 passes a game. DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are by far the two best bets to be catching those passes. And it's not as if Tyler Lockett just like falls off the face of the earth this season because Russell Wilson's gone. That's a great example. Yeah, that is a great example of don't overrate how bad the environment is either. And it's not that you want to be reaching for Tyler Lockett necessarily, but I mean, it's it's gone very Stop the slide. Stop the slide. All right, uh, we're back in a second with a couple more. First, we're going to take a quick break. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Prep for your draft with the latest player rankings, projections, and more in the NBC Sports Edge Roto World Fantasy Football Draft Guide. Powered by Roto World, the premier source for player news and fantasy information. Take advantage of our preseason special and get the draft guide for $5 when you use promo code DRAFTGUIDE at checkout on NBCSportsEdge.com slash DRAFTGUIDE. Guys, Pat Corain couldn't join us for this specific show, but he feels extremely strongly about this topic. So he did send along a couple lessons that he thought we could discuss. So I'm going to throw them out here and I want to hear you guys' thoughts. So number one that he mentioned was a mistake from last year, not diversifying enough on ambiguous backfields. Thoughts? I will uh, pop in here because I, I'm very guilty of, you know, laser getting laser focused on one guy last year. I, I did mm-hmm. that with Giovanni Bernard in mm-hmm. the Bucks backfield as as a guy who I thought would take like, a James White esque role in the Brady backfield didn't didn't turn out that way. Um, turned out that Leonard Fournette just got everything, all the carries, all the goal line touches, and all the receptions. Um, and I wanted, I knew I wanted pieces of the Bucks backfield. You know, yeah. I, I knew how valuable Tom Brady's backfield can be, um, and has been. And I just, I just got, I got too narrow minded uh, about who who to target in that backfield. I'm trying not to do that this year i mean you see it happening like because every year we pick a favorite and just like it's like well this guy isn't the guy but it doesn't matter because he will be the guy nothing i can do about it we're like the most ambiguous backfield in the nfl is probably the houston texans and we just like decided that damian pierce was the guy which right if you're gonna pick someone he does make the most sense well there's plenty of evidence that the guy could be marlon mack or uh-huh. that rivers mccown is convinced the guy will be rex burkhead mm-hmm. to begin the season and yeah, just like, I, I guess it's fine. Like, like the ADP isn't like that. Like, it's not like you're like giving an arm and a leg for Damian Pierce, but yeah, it's a, something to remember every single year. And like, just not to glom on to one guy, especially when the evidence is like, the evidence isn't that compelling with Damian Pierce. It's not that compelling 
with Tyler Algier, again, the RB8, apparently, in Atlanta, according to their official depth chart. Like, it could easily be Damian Williams, Tyler Algier. And then, yeah, if you're the kind of person drafting a million teams, uh, do not, like, if you're still, like, in the thick of best ball season, you can't only be building Damian Pierce teams. As, As gross as it is, you have to also be building Marlon Mack and of Drexburg had teams, Dennis. Oof. Well, and, and one of the backfields that Corinne mentioned was Arizona. And it, it, I think if you think back to last year, Chase Edmonds was a much more fun guy to draft, but James Conner was not that fun to draft. But look how that turned out. So so when you're trying to consider your options in a backfield, you know, maybe just we, the, but the more slightly boring guy. It could, well, it's not even big. the more boring guy. It's like I when it's like uncertain backfield, like identify traits. Right. Like with the Cardinals backfield last year, before the season, if you were identifying traits, you probably could have identified Chase Edmonds would be the preferred pass catcher. James Conner would be the preferred short yardage guy. They both ended up catching a lot of passes, but James Conner was the short yardage back. And like another situation where I think of like that this year is the Dolphins backfield where like Chase Edmonds is really the only one to even develop an ADP. Whereas like well, if I'm thinking about traits in the Dolphins backfield – what seems most likely to me is that Sony Michelle will be the goal line back. Like no one wants to draft right. Sony Michelle because he's Sony Michelle, but he's got like probably the best clearly defined role in that backfield to me. Like Chase Evans, I think should be a pretty reliable pass catcher for the Dolphins. Also a clearly defined role. I hope like, I don't think I me, mean, Raheem Mostert's not going to catch passes. He's like the change of pace back, but it's like, just be honest with yourself about like what the actual roles in this right. backfield are. And don't just, only because you like one player more, go all in on that player while ignoring what is probably a clearly defined role for someone else in the backfield. Uh, I should say on Sony Michelle, noted NFL evaluator Greg Cosell has said several times this offseason that he fully expects Sony Michelle to be the, the primary back in Miami. And I fantasy think, football is over. I but I mean, worth, that's worth fantasy that football perfect, had a good run. That's a perfect example of something we don't want to happen. So therefore, yes. we tune it out. And I'm moving Sony Michelle up on my draft board. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it, look, I, I wrote up uh, Chase Edmonds as a guy who was has a has a stellar yards before contact, yards after contact, uh, elusive rating, everything. And yet right. he's just never good. And and never. then you know you write you write up that you know, all that and you analyze it and you say, well, it could matter. But it, well, it, it if they awarded be- touchdowns for crossing the twenty-yard line, Chase Edmonds would have scored more of right. James Conner at science. Right, and this is what the analytics won't tell you. But yeah, I mean, it could matter. It all it could also not matter at all. Which okay. is, I think, the theme of our show so far today. Like, uh, we're, we're we're taking a stand, right? We're not going do this, but just remember this. Well, I I don't I don't want to turn our audience into a bunch of nihilists, but but sometimes what you do it does not matter, and no, and the yes. only thing that matters is what what teams and coaches think of whatever Texans running back you do. It just frankly, it does not matter. <laughs> All right. Corrine sent along another one, which is he regrets last season chasing steam too much late in draft season. He mentioned one LaVisca Chenault specifically, and I believe Terrace Marshall specifically Pat Darty. I think you had some thoughts on this one. Well, I mean, so Crane saying I'm, he's saying I'm a jerk for having Isaiah Pacheco and Kendrick Bourne on every team. Is that uh, what he's saying? And, uh, yeah, I mean, yes. it is. Yes, he is. It's so hard not. Yeah, I'm gonna use the phrase "glom onto" again. Like, we want to just glom on to the fun summer narratives. And again, if you think it's a legitimate narrative, like I said, like there's, there's no shame in taking Isaiah Pacheco right now. His right. ADP is still reasonable, but as Cranes, some guys get steamed beyond what is reasonable. And if mm-hmm. Isaiah Pacheco, Denny is like what, like the RB, like 36 or something by the, like the time like Labor Day rolls around, yeah. that's like. Even if this trend is real, like it's just gotten too out of control. Like this ADP, he's going to have a role. That's great. But this role no longer reflects ADP reality. And that's what you, that's another thing you just have to be honest with. Yes, there might actually be something here, but is this something does not like, does not match ADP reality. And I think maybe that's kind of what Corrine is saying, but um, I don't know. Well, I think getting, getting too excited. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I'm guilty of this as anyone, you guys know this. I mean, I, I, I get, I get over my skis about, about so many players, right. uh, both in the preseason and during the regular season. That's why I'm a fantasy analyst. Um, but it, it is, it is important to kind of keep yourself in check and also don't chase a guy like, 
if you're early on a guy like Pacheco, that's great, but you don't have to keep chasing him. Like, like we, you know, <laughs> who was that running back for Jacksonville that one year? Oh, Toby Gerhardt, right? Oh, wow. Toby Gerhardt went to Jacksonville from Minnesota. Uh-huh. He started as like a, as like a round 12 pick, right? Zoomers will not, thankfully will not remember this. And Yeah, no, it was a nightmare. And, and then, you know, got up to 10th round, then ninth, then eighth, then like the sixth round. I remember Pat Thorman now of uh, established run eventually tweeted. This is insane. I've, I've seen enough. I've seen this is, this is too much on Toby Gerhardt. Stop chasing him. He was fine in the 14th, not in the sixth. You know, that, that well, sort of jump matters. And this is most dangerous when it happens like early in drafts where the infamous example of 2020 Clyde Edwards Elaire where had somehow become like a consensus right. top eight back. And I was just, was still unclear, still unclear now, like what that was based on. Exactly. Thankfully, like I'm wrong, like a lot. We're, we're talking like a lot, but <laughs> I just like never understood the case for Clyde Edwards Elaire and, so it's one thing if a guy's getting steamed in say like the tenth or eleventh round. Say you take Wandale Robinson in the eleventh round this summer, like maybe that won't end up great. But it's not like a team ruiner, right? Like if a guy's ADP is being like into like like we're talking like real deal draft capital, you have to be like absolutely sure. Like this is not hype. This is based on something real, mm-hmm. and uh, can be of course it can be difficult to know. Well, and as I was saying to you, Pat, before we came before we came on here. With CEH specifically, I think last year there was a little bit of, well, you know, great, the rookie year didn't go well, but they invested a first round pick in this guy. Surely now it's going to work out, you know, like this time or this time we'll give him a mulligan on that season. But why? Why did we? Well, real life draft capital, unfortunately, is like very often like still something you have to pay attention to even after sure. like one or two disappointing seasons. But yeah, I mean, the, you have to do. At what point is it your is it draft capital and what point is it like sunk cost? And it was difficult to know last year with CEH because clearly he was overvalued as a rookie, but it, I could see why people thought last year, like, okay, this is where he actually should be being drafted. The first and second round was crazy, but the third, fourth, fifth round, this makes a lot more sense. And so you can be forgiven for making that mistake. But yeah, it's at what point is it are you like basing on something logical, like no, this guy will keep getting a chance to succeed? Because of his draft capital, or has it just become some cost? By the way, Toby Gerhardt, um, that first year in Jacksonville, so he had averaged seven point nine yards per carry with mm-hmm. Minnesota in twenty thirteen. Yeah, the year before he went to Jacksonville. I guess that's why we were so excited, right? We but were. only on thirty six carries. I know. And then he goes to Jacksonville and had three hundred twenty six rushing yards uh, on three point wow. two yards per attempt. So yeah, that was fun. That was in one game, though, right? <laughs> it's in one game. Uh, one more from Mr. Corain, and what he wrote was, being light on guys I liked, but I thought were going too early all summer. This Go means, ahead. like, if you want Gabriel Davis, you're just going to have to pay the yeah. tax. You're just going to have to pay the price. And mm-hmm. if you believe in the player, which, I mean, again, this is going to contradict a lot of stuff we just said. Right. But if you truly believe in a player – like a lot of times it is probably going to be someone a lot of other people believe in. Right. If you believe the most, you got to be willing. You can't take in general, you're going to be a successful drafter if you get ADP values. But if you take only everyone at ADP, you're going to be lacking an upside and you do just have to take a stand sometime. And you just sometimes you have to go off board on the players like Gabriel Davis. If you truly believe in them. In this case though, in Gabriel Davis's case, it's not, if Gabriel Davis were in kind of a wretched offensive environment and we we're like, but this guy's such a, such a freak and you were then reaching for him. I, th- I think that's the mistake. Yeah, he's the kind of guy about. where he's got a lot of like a lot of wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, it's, again, so again, all comes back to just be sure you tr- fully understand the environment. And I would say we fully understand the bill's environment is quite good. The, uh, the late great Chris Wessling once wrote a uh, very convincingly about, getting Percy Harvin no matter what. And I remember that column because it fully convinced me, it fully radicalized me into getting Percy Harvin no matter what. It was it was a, an amazing column. It wasn't analytics heavy, it wasn't numbers heavy, but it was it was just if you trust yourself, right? If you if if you believe in a player and his environment and his situation and his role in the offense and everything, then go after him. Like don't don't mess around. 
you know, don't mess around and find out, you know, yeah. if, if you really like Gabe Davis and you say, well, I could pick him now or I can, uh, I, and I pick again in four picks and uh, my opponents look like they're okay on receivers. Right. So they probably won't take a receiver. Let, let me see, let me, let me mess around and find out. And then he gets taken. You're, you're going to, you, you want to punch yourself in the face. Okay. I, I, almost, I almost did this during the apex draft with Pat and, and other guys. Right. You know, so it just don't, just don't do that. Just go get them. Don't well, yeah, just don't worry about what the draft room thinks, which even for people like Danny, I mean, you, no one wants to look stupid, right. but like, that's right. The, the only thing worse than looking stupid is being like, well, why did I not take, cause you, you always think like, well, yeah, this is like too early. Like no one else, like they're just, people will laugh. And then they, the guy goes two picks later. Cause everyone's thinking that. And they know right. he's awesome. That's right. And, yeah. and at the end of the season, no one cares about ADP. No, no one. Right. And I'm thinking about, this makes me think of my home draft last year with the aforementioned Jamar Chase, who's come up a lot today. But I remember when I didn't take Chase, I, I had a voice in my head that was like, you really should take Chase here. Like that you're, you're wrong. Like you're, you're, you're blowing it, you know, but I couldn't, I was too scared to. And so therefore I didn't. And he went like two picks later and we all know the rest. But you, up, you upheld the norms and institutions of not taking Jamar chase and looking dumb. So that's fine. Right. right. The filibuster remains I'm, intact. I'm you still, didn't look dumb. I'm still losing sleep over it though. That's the problem. <laughs> Sounds like I, you should talk to someone <laughs> this time. Leave a message. When I, you love, call your doctor. I go to, I go to a lot. I go to bed at night and my eyes just, just <laughs> <laughs> you're like matthew mcconaughey's character where he says i don't sleep at night i only think of jamar chase i just wander my house pacing back and forth watching highlights uh guys no 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 it's fine i'm fine uh all right well we got through a bunch there guys i think before we depart is there anything you'd like to promote that you have written will soon be writing or uh once wrote in the past just the roto world draft guide just the roto world draft guide NBCSportsEdge.com slash draft guide. I wrote a recent piece on four splits that you should know for 2022 fantasy leagues. It's on right. NBCSportsEdge.com. All right. Well, that is going to do it for us. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen. Take a moment to rate and review us as well. Want to thank want to say thanks to everyone for listening and watching with us today. And Denny, Pat, thanks to both of you guys. Talk to you soon. Good luck in your drafts everywhere, everyone. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave.